Personalization. Ultra personalization. Hyper personalization. What is personalization anyway in 2021? Well, no matter what it is, we can say that it's very different than what it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago in financial services. To help us make sense of it today, we have Doral Blitz coming in from Tel Aviv. He's the Vice President Strategy and Business Development at Personetics. And Personetics is doing some incredible things on the personalization front that will help financial institutions and fintechs make a difference. You're all about it today on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. Dave. Dave and Dom Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dom Mystery. Demystify. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Dave and Darm Demystify show and this week we're going to try and demystify personalization. Now this has had probably like a number of iterations over the years from you know the very early days in the 80s of one-to-one personalization. Dave and I were also involved in the 90s with a company called Broadvision that brought a platform together for personalization. But now, you know, we're into another generation and we've got a real expert with us today joining us. That's Dorel Blitz from Personetics. Welcome, Dorel. Hey, guys. Nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm sure most of our listeners will know who you are, but it'd be great for the others. If you could just give us a bit of background on yourself and what you're doing at Personetics from a personalization perspective. Let's dive into that. Sure. So I'm in the fintech business for 12 years, maybe 15 years. I'm with Personetics for almost three years. Before that, I used to work as a managing director at KPMG, a part of KPMG Global Fintech Practice and the financial advisory, working with banks and other financial institutions all over the world, trying to help them to solve all sorts of issues regarding, you know, strategy, digital banking experience, and so on and so forth. And before that, I used to be a banker at Bank Lumi, one of the largest bank here in Tel Aviv, dealing with digital banking innovation, digital banks, and so forth. And before that, even some BCG McKinsey-like research and consultancy with financial institutions. So I had my share amount of working in all sorts of angles in the industry, in the client side, in the advisory side, and now I'm with the vendor side. So it gives a good perspective of the trends and dynamics in the industry. Personetics is a 10 years old growth fintech company. We are about 250 employees in 10 global offices, including a big one in London, Singapore, New York, Brazil, France, and so forth. And we just announced a big fundraising by Warburg Pincus, one of the world's largest private equity firms in the fintech space. And we are being perceived as the global category leader in data-driven personalization and customer engagement for financial services. We are providing a white label personalized engagement platform for banks. We are in production with around 
50 maybe, global top tier banks. And we believe that the way that we are providing and what we are providing for banks is really becoming a global market standard of how they should, you know, proactively and smartly engaging with their own customers and of course providing the significant business impact related to that. We've been through this kind of loop before with personalization, right? What would you say is different now? Dave talks about hyper-personalization, right? I've heard about personalization like over 20 years ago. So what is it different now? Banks moved from thinking about their process automation and operational models into how exactly they're gonna make money. And I think when they're thinking about the revenue base of their interactions with their customers, at least now in the last couple of years, they are acknowledging that in order for banks to really stay in the center of their customers' financial life, to really drive the highest value of digital sales and digital servicing, which is what they are really going after, all the rest is less important, they need to completely change their relationship with their clients to achieve these business goals. And hyper-personalization is there as a methodology, if you will, to help banks to achieve the measurable business goals. As an example, banks are using for decades maybe all sorts of marketing analytic systems. Now, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against these logic-based NBA, NBO models, but in the end of the day, if you're actually measuring the conversion rates of these models, which are completely disconnected from financial transactional data, they are reaching maybe 2 to 3 to 4% conversion rates. Now, the question here is how come banks missed their biggest goldmine, their huge asset? And I believe, we believe, that the biggest asset of any bank is its own customer's financial transactional data, the data itself. You don't need to go to outside, like banks tried, social media, loyalties programs, geolocations. It's not working. I'm speaking about under the lamp, there is a huge, huge asset for banks. If they will know how to play it, very quickly, by the way, they will be able to get a higher value, not just engagement or personalization, but business impact. So it's always at the end of the day when we are speaking and I'm speaking with CEOs of banks or C-level or board members, it's always coming back to the same questions. It's not just the philosophy. It's show me the money, like Jerry Maguire movie. Show me the money. How I'm going to exactly make money from all of that. Listen, guys, since COVID-19 started, there is over 35% increase globally in digital banking usage. So how come we are not seeing that in the annual reports from banks? How come the revenues are not coming? What? There is something missing here. And that's exactly my point here. It's not about philosophy. It's about how banks should better sell and service their own customers. And the biggest trend that I'm seeing, at least in the market, is that finally the ability of banks to think and to act and to move from a passive approach into a smart, proactive and knowledgeable ongoing approach and only through that way to achieve their business goals. And personalization is a big part of that. This is a topic which is incredibly close to my heart. I think it's really interesting what you're saying, because as you say, there's been a massive uptick in terms of 
people going to digital channels, which I think is, you know, on the back of COVID, but that was kind of happening anyway. You know, what I've always been surprised at is how little attention there's been on it almost sweating that customer asset. And I think actually for a bank to stand up and say, we care about our customers, we value our customers, they should be bringing value through this channel. And actually that is about, as far as I can see, about personalization. This is a very logical step. It sounds like Personetics has a good head start on the market in terms of just sheer numbers of banks that you're kind of dealing with and use cases. So have you got a couple of example use cases you could talk about? I mean, there's a few banks out there which I think are doing some interesting things. People like DBS, I think, are using your solution and seeing some good outcomes on the back of it. Yeah, absolutely. So DBS is being still perceived today, maybe at least for the last five years, as the most innovative bank in the world by so many, you know, research firms. So when we started our discussion with DBS, they told us, hey, but we are doing that. We are the most personalized bank in the world. And we challenged them. We told them, listen, show me what we are doing. And then show me your revenues. Show me your profit. Show me your customer acquisition cost. Show me your cost to serve. Show me your cost income ratio. And then it's not just a philosophical discussion. This is really a business discussion. When I'm trying to combine the numbers of DBS, and it's a great bank, and what they've done before Personetics, and now what they're able to do with Personetics without getting into the details right now, it looks completely, dramatically different. And because of our ability as Personetics at least, to do something that no one is actually doing, and that's the reality, which is access and analyze in real time, including from external, you know, banking accounts using open banking, PSD2, whatever, and the ability to truly provide a one holistic aggregated view of the customer's financial behavior with all of our AI flashy and models and to truly understand the real time financial behavior of a client. Maybe it sounds basic, but that's something that it's fundamental. And then we are able to act upon it with you know, our insights catalogs and product-based advice and automation and self-adjustable financial wellness programs and all the tools. It's something that you will be amazed, but this is something that banks are still not getting at the deep level today. And they're relying on marketing activities that are completely disconnected from the understanding of the context of the customer in real time. Look, I'm gonna stand in defense of some of the banks, right? Because probably about like 25 years ago, I was in a bank, I was at Lloyds Bank, and I was part of you know a team that we generated the vision for single customer view back then, 25 years ago, right? And one of the things that we were doing was looking at the data, it was led by a guy called Peter Harvey. Now, Peter Harvey basically said, look, Dom, I'm doing all this stuff. He speaks internationally on credit risk assessment. He said, look, I'm doing all this stuff about credit risk on data. What can we do with the data beyond the credit risk? I was 23. I'm like, Peter, I don't know what you're talking about. Give me an example. Right? He said, well, look, Dom, from the data, I think we could work out things like when a customer is going to leave the bank. And I'm like, how would you know that from the data? And he said, well, look, for example, if you take the trend of their standing orders and their ATM transactions and look at how they're spending now, there's a pattern, right? So you might have 15 standing orders that is consistent, but you see a trend of them dropping down to like 12 and then 10 and then eight. 
that generally means somebody started to switch their account before they've actually left. And I'm like, well, let's just try that out. So we took an extract, run it on a few customers. And then, you know, yeah, we could tell things like if the customer is going to leave. So we were doing fairly clever stuff, but it was all offline, right? So I think this is one of the differences that you're saying is that we now need to be able to do it in real time. So I think that's one difference. The other thing is that when we came away from that project, we invested in like Teradata when it was a small company and literally they're racking 386s into a big box to kind of crunch big numbers, right? But everything that we were doing was offline. We were trying to work out which customers were most likely to buy what products. That's really a lot of what we did in those engines back then. So I think the second difference that you're alluding to, right? And I really want to get, because this is the demystify show, we have to get to like the simple stuff, right? So one is that it's real time. And the second that it's not about identifying what the customer might buy, but getting them to buy it, pushing them through the journey. And that's the personalization that is needed. It's like, how do I take the horse to the trough and get them to drink the water, right? Well done, Dom. That's exactly <laughs> the point. Here. Thanks. For some dumb reason, I'm focusing only on the end game of that, which is, you know, product-based advice, very simple logic-based marketing activities, next best action, next best offer. But I'm saying something which is much more fundamental. And that's the big thing here. You need to drive a day-to-day personalized, value-driven engagement with your customers, helping them to better understand their finance, helping them to better manage their finance, to stay on top of their finance, to increase their financial wellness, to regain their financial resilience, to fulfill the social contract between banks and customers. And only then, once increasing the customer engagement, the customer trust, only this day-to-day support, the product-based advice, and to reach what we are doing as Personetics, six times higher conversion rates than what banks are doing today. If you want to sell, if you want to service, it's not one time. No way, never work, because there is one thing great about banks that are selling trust, and that's a big interest barrier. But in the end of the day, there is still a big missing relationship. This is the point number three, right, Dave, is that it's about most of the communication was buy this product or you've done this transaction well done it's worked but what dorel is saying is like if you'd have gone into the branch and somebody had looked at your account and they said well you're about to go overdrawn or whatever they would have had a conversation with you but they're online now and this kind of advice stuff and guidance on managing your money is missing is that really the case what banks have done is through their digitalization strategies or digitization strategies have trained their customers to be transactional. Dorel's saying actually you need to retrain them into engagement and relationship and you can only do that by delivering incremental value and in order to create value you need to understand them, their context and what they're looking to do. Hyper-personalization. That's exactly right. There's not a hammer blow in which you know, we all wake up in the morning and we go, oh my God, my app's really helpful. That's just not what goes on in people's lives. You've got to re-get them engaged with the thought that actually this is useful. People are spoiled. They don't want to do anything in terms of finance. That's the reality. So what can you do about it as a bank? Our vision is self-driving finance. Very similar to self-driving cars. We believe in a five-step program. 
that eventually will help banks to gain into a place where they are able to think and act in behalf of their customers. This is reality. We are doing it today. By the way, one of the biggest banks in the UK is going live with that very soon. We have that in several markets, those kind of fully automated, financial automated wellness programs, completely self-adjustable, that customers don't need to set up goals or threshold or time limit. They haven't had to do anything. This is a completely automated program for debt reduction, for investments, even for saving for taxes for small business owners. So the ability of banks to finally use their relationship and be there for their customers. And I'm using someone else saying, moving from FOMO, fear of missing out of their customers, into JOMO, joy of missing out, where finally customers can sit back and relax and let someone else do that for them. So they are still smart and they are still in control, but there is a human being or an entity or hybrid model, I don't care, that is able to help customers to achieve their financial goals. I honestly don't care about APR and installments. I just, as a human being, I care about dreams and basic needs. I want to take my kids finally, maybe next year, to Disney World. I want a bigger house. I want a better car. I don't care about the whole processes. I don't want to be taught about it. And I don't care if it's a two clicks or eight clicks. I want a seamless frictionless, let's call it invisible, banking relationship at some level. And yes, it's a lever. I can move from automated to semi-automated. Maybe I want to pick up the phone once in a while and to speak with a human being and not a chatbot. I want all of that. And I'm telling you, we believe that maybe the only future for financial institutions, and it's not because of challenges and Google and PayPal and Apple. It's because of human. You're dealing with humans and they are behaving and they are changing. And that's what we are seeing globally at some level, how they want to be treated. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, there's a few things in there, like the technology exists to do this, and that's not an excuse, but there are systems and services that people are increasingly having as part of their lives which are doing this. I mean, as soon as we go into things like self-driving cars, it's sort of all about building the consensus. So, yeah, I think it makes perfect sense to me. Well, one question... I love the user interface, the UI. When you're, as Personetics, dealing with the banks that you're dealing with, do you think they're user interfaces, which I think have largely been developed from a kind of transactional process point of view, do you think they're kind of fit for purpose? Or are you seeing that banks are looking to kind of redesign that sort of experience around what they're doing? That's a great question, David, and thank you for asking that because banks are actually using the personetics process to rethink their UI or even UX from a fundamental process of how customers want to be treated and how they want to access data on the go or when they are laying back or laying forward. And instead of showing them the history of their transactional information when they are logging in and they absolutely don't care about it, is actually showing them what is important, what they need to see, what they need to understand, what's coming up, where are the hazards, where are the safe days, where are the not safe days, what should be relevant for them. We are being bombarded all day long with big amounts of data. So when customers on the go, logging right now into the mobile application using, I don't know, a biometric, so it's only today, it's only actually two fingers, thumb and your finger, 
what is really important for them on the go, what they need to know, and how much of that is going to be through push notification, and how much of that is going to be with the customers with, you know, six inch of Gorilla Glass when they are logging into the mobile application. And only the most relevant things should be there. And of course, you are using a lot of infographics and you are completely changed your language and you are focusing only on what is important. And there's a lot of tests and learning and A-B testing and so on and so forth, but this is absolutely changed. And we are seeing great examples, mostly from Asia right now. So you've mentioned David DBS. I would tell you, you should really see what you will be the third largest bank in Asia right. is doing yeah, yeah, right yeah. now in their mighty application. They completely changed it, and that's a massive classic bank. It's not a challenger. And you can see how they completely change the way that they are proactively and even within their mobile application engaging with customers. We believe it's going to be a big, you know, changing in the industry from transactional relationship into smart, proactive, cut to the chase, you know, relationship. No, very, very interesting. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been fantastic. I mean, literally, we could go on for hours. It's been brilliant to go through that in the time we've had. So thank you so much for coming and telling us all about your perspective and personetics. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.